So as you come into New York Harbor and you see the Statue of Liberty, on the base of the Statue of Liberty, on the grounds there is a poem, and the poem is written by Emma Lazarus, and there's a, a phrase from that poem that every one of us have heard, and it goes like this, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. So that, that, that begs the question to us on this 4th of July weekend, what does it mean to be free? What does, what does it mean? Because we talk about freedom and we throw it around. What does it mean to be free? We're going to look at a passage this weekend, and Jesus basically is going to talk to a group of people, the Jews, and he's going to say, you're slaves. And they're going to say, no, we're free. We're absolutely free. And what we're going to find from this passage is that Jesus is going to show us that there's a lot of people who think they're free, but they're really slaves. So we're going to look at that passage. It's found in John chapter 8, verse 31. It's on page 817 of the chair Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, you don't have a Bible on your phone. Uh, page 817 in the chair Bible. I'll be reading. You can follow along with me. Uh, eight, chapter 8 of John, starting at verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will, set, uh, we, you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a permanent, uh, a permanent, a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are tr- truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham. And some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father. But are you following the advice of my father? So what does it mean to believe? Um, it's interesting because as I was reading through this passage, I knew I was going to preach from this passage. And as I was reading through this passage, I, I said, wait a minute, maybe I misread that verse. Because verse 31 basically says, to those who believed in Jesus, he said this. Now, wait a minute. And then I saw what, what they were saying to him. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I must have misread that. Let me go back. Maybe I, I, to those who didn't believe he said this, that that's not what it says. It says, to those who believe, this is what Jesus said. Now, let's describe those for a moment, those who believed in this passage. This is those who believed in Jesus, okay? And this is what we see. Jesus says they were slaves to sin in verse 34. In verse 37, we can see that they're indifferent to Jesus' words. They're not accepting His words. They're challenging His words. They're children of the devil, if you go down to verse 44. They're children of the devil. They're liars in verse 55. And finally, if you go to verse 59, they're ready to pick up stones and kill Jesus. These are the ones who believed in Jesus. So I was reading through this and I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's going on here? And here's the point. 
if we understand what Jesus is saying, then it means that we better re-examine where we're at with Jesus. Because we may have missed the boat. How in the world, how in this, and, and essentially what Jesus is, is, is cutting straight, he's cutting straight the difference between saving faith and false faith. And there is a big difference between the two. They on the surface can look like the exact same thing. But beneath the surface, it's very different. Jesus is saying there are fair-weather disciples and there are full-on followers of Jesus Christ. And there's a big difference between the two of them. So what does it mean to be a full-on follower of Jesus? He said this in the passage. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold on to my teaching. Some people have a, a different view of what it means to be a Christian. Okay. Now, I'm going to use the word disciple, Christ follower, Christian, kind of as interchangeable. And I'm using that to, to describe somebody who is a truly a follower of Jesus Christ. They remain true to His Word. They're part of the vine. He, uh, they're a branch of the vine and all that other stuff. That's the way I'm using it. But some people view following Jesus like joining the National Guard. And it's kind of one of these things. One week in a month, two weeks a year. Right. Or they say, well, I'm, I'm not part of, you know, I'm not part of the National Guard. I'm part of the I'm, in, I'm enlisted in the army. I'm in the army. Right. Um, or some people say, well, um, I'm, I'm in the army, but I'm not part of the special forces. I'm not part of, part of the Green Beret. Right. But Jesus is saying that one of the major marks of being his disciple is perseverance, that you remain with him. You remain with Him. You walk with Him. In other words, what Jesus is saying is very striking in this passage. He's saying to a group of people who believe in Jesus, He's saying, if you don't remain in Me, you don't belong to Me. You must be all in or you're not in. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying, is you must be all in or you're not in. That's really what it comes down to. And Jesus kind of explains this. And I want you to turn to another passage in John. John 15, and this is on page 824, John 15 and verse 5. Because Jesus explains what it means, this intimate relationship that we must have if we're one of His disciples, if we're one of His followers. In other words, what I'm trying to make the case for is there's no case in in Scripture for a fair-weather friend or a Christian that kind of is semi-committed. Okay? John chapter 15, verse 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. The point I just want you to see in that verse is notice there's that, that remaining. The, you, you're consistent. You're with Him. You're not with Him now, but then you may not be. And you, you know, it's, you're with Him. And there's fruit to prove it. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and um, uh, it will be granted. When you produce much, when you produce much fruit, you are true, my true disciples. And essentially Jesus is saying the same thing that he's saying all through his teaching. And he's essentially saying this. If you are not following me, you're not one of my followers. 
At any moment, you can tell, am I one of His followers? Am I walking with Jesus? Am I all in with Him? He was all in for me on the cross. Am I all in with Him? Jesus is pointing to a common problem within the church today. That many people believe in Jesus, but they're still far from Jesus. I know you have relatives, you have family members, you have people you love or you, you work with, you care about, and you, you say, well, I just want to make sure they believe in Jesus. Right? But I just want to tell you today, and I'm going to kind of pull the carpet out from under your, your feet of security, that just a person believing in Jesus is not being in, you know, committed to Him, attached to the vine. And again, I'm going to jump to another passage, because, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit this uh, weekend, but uh, bear with me. Page 750, Matthew chapter 19, because this is really where the rubber meets the road. This story that Jesus tells, this event in, as Jesus was teaching and walking with his disciples, really uh, brings, solidifies what we're talking about. Page 750, it's Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but you know the story. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This is a works-based person. This is a person coming to Jesus, like many people today, saying, what do I have to do to get into heaven? What good things do I need to do so that I have a resume that's acceptable that you'll let me into heaven? That's the questions being posed by Jesus. Why ask me about good? What is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one? The man replied. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, I have obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? So in other words, he's saying, okay, I've done all of this. Now, I almost think that Jesus is granting him his case, saying, okay, let's just assume you have. I don't really believe that he did all these things perfectly, because Jesus goes on in the New Testament and says, you know, it's one thing to say you never murdered, but you murder with your, your mouth. It's one thing you said you never committed adultery, but you commit adultery in your head. So it could, the law goes deeper than just the letter of the law. But Jesus goes on to say, he, the young man says, well, what else must I do? And Jesus cuts it right to the bone. He says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, notice, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. See, the young man, here's a critical thing to understand, and this is the whole point of what I'm trying to share with you. And I hope that you'll hear it. It's a very simple point, but it's very profound and hard for our hearts to hear it. The young man believed in Jesus, but he wasn't willing to follow Him. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and following Him. People who follow Him do believe in Him, but there's a lot of people who believe in Him who don't follow Him. And yet they still think they're forgiven, they're saved, they're Christians, they're disciples. Jesus shows us that everyone serves something. And this young man lived for his riches. It was all about his riches. And we worship a lot of things other than God. Success, security, relationships, wealth, power. So the question is, where are you today? 
Where are you today? Maybe you say, well, I believe in Jesus. You believe that He was a man sent from God who died on a cross and rose from the dead. He died on the cross for your sins. You believe all of that. You believe in Jesus. You have friends. You have neighbors. You have family members that, that believe in Jesus. And you say, Whew, they believe in Jesus. Everything's okay. Can you turn one more time? Maybe you'll turn more than once, but I'll just say one more time and lead you on. James chapter 2, page 931. This is one of the tr- most troubling verses in the, in the New Testament for me as far as belief is concerned. And James' whole thing, the whole theme of James' letter is if your faith isn't uh, demonstrated by your actions, you've got to question whether you even have faith. Faith, it's like Jesus said, if you're connected to the vine, you'll produce fruit. James is saying the same thing. Essentially, James is saying if you belong to Jesus, your life will show it, right? And so he says this. This is James 2.17, then I'm going to jump down to 2.19. This is on page 931. You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Now, he's not saying you're saved by works. He's saying the proof of your faith is works. If you have no works, it shows that you have no faith. Okay, you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. If it is dead and useless, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God or you could fill in the blank that you believe in Jesus. You believe he died. You believe he rose. You believe good for you. I almost think he's saying that mockingly. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Do you, see what, do you see what James is saying? James is saying something very troubling. It's, it's similar to what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's, you, you can believe in Jesus all day long. You can believe in... in you can have perfect doctrine and perfect knowledge of the Bible. And see, what we've done today is as long as he believes in Jesus, as long as you understand doctrine, as long as you understand what Jesus is, as long as you believe that, you're in. And what James is saying, what Jesus is saying is, No. The demons believe, and they're not in. So what's the difference between, and I've said this to people, what's the difference between the demons' faith and yours? Clearly, Jesus is saying that if you really believe in Him, if you really really are one of His disciples, that you will follow Him, that you abide in Him, that you obey His Word. Demons aren't following Him. They're not obeying Him. Well, they have to obey Him, ultimately, but they're, they're not abiding in Him. They're not following Him. They're not obedient to Him. Jesus wasn't going to allow you. And this is the point where really you have to say, where, where, am, I, where am I really at with my faith? Where am I really at? Jesus will not allow you to make Him an accessory or a lifestyle or a get-out-of-hell card or a sugar daddy. He wants all of you. He wants your very life. And that's what he was saying to the young man. He's saying, you know what? You're, you're, holding, you're holding back. You really have another God. You're, you're, whatever it is, whether it's your money makes you feel secure, it makes you feel powerful, or it gives you what you want, it's your God. You have to get rid of that. I, I don't care whether you believe in me. I don't even care if you want to follow me. If you're not willing to leave that behind and jettison everything and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And the... the the, the challenge hasn't changed today. Jesus says, okay, you're in the 21st century. I'm going, to let, I'm, going to back off, I'm going to back it off just a little bit. 
if He's the Creator and Sustainer of the universe and if He's the Savior of the world, how in the world could we say no to Him? How? So let's get to the point of real freedom because that's kind of where we began. You know, we often think of bondage as something that's political or economic and that if we could be set free from economic shackles or political shackles, then we would be set free. But Jesus is pointing to a different kind of slavery and it affects everyone on this planet. And he he says, you're you're all slaves to sin. Whether you know it or not, you're slaves to sin. Now, it's interesting because he calls these people slaves and they respond, well, we've never been slaves to anyone. Now, if you've ever read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, that's almost comical. Because the Jews were like, everyone's slave. I mean, mean, they (laughs) they were slaves in Egypt. Remember Moses, right? And then you can go to Assyria, you can go to Babylon, and even in Jesus' day, Rome, they weren't like in prison, but they weren't free. They couldn't do whatever they wanted. They, were, they didn't know anything but slavery. But today, many people believe that freedom is the ability to do anything I want. Did you ever think about that? People think, well, freedom is that I can do anything I want. Well, that's irrational. Because I want to fly right now. Well, that's not going to happen, right? So you say, well, freedom is not that you can do anything you want. We all live with limitations. In fact, uh, the people that are the happiest on this planet, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but it's true. The people that are the happiest on this planet are the ones that are able to limit themselves. Think about that. Uh, When you give up freedom, you gain life. Happiness, joy, peace, all those things. Now, let me give you a couple of examples where this is true. For instance, sometimes you go into the doctor, and what do they do? They they measure your height. You really don't care about that because that probably hasn't changed too much. They put you on the scale, right? And they weigh you, and you go, ooh, please. A little further than, you know, because you're like, I don't want to really go on a scale. I kind of know what it might say, but I'm afraid. It's like when you do bad on a test and you know you kind of did bad, but you don't really want to know how badly you did, right? So the doctor sits down and he looks at your chart, looking at your blood pressure, looking at your cholesterol, looking at your weight, you know. And, and your doctor basically says to you, you know what? You really need to cut back. You need to really begin a diet. You need to get some exercise. Now, why is the doctor doing that? Frankly, if the doctor wants to make money off of you, the sicker you are, the better, you know. But he cares about you. I think most doctors do. So they they basically said, listen, why don't you try, you know, checking your diet? Why don't you try getting a little more exercise? Why don't you lose a little extra weight? Now, why is he doing that? He's doing that so that you can have a more satisfying life. He's saying if you limit yourself in this area of eating and you, 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 you get off the couch and you get on your feet and you get a little more exercise, your life is going to be better. Physically, you're going to be better for a longer period. So you may be 60 years old and you're able to walk and you're able to enjoy life rather than being on crutches or or not being able to walk. So in other words, he's saying uh, if you limit yourself now, you can enjoy life more. So you give up freedom to find life, right? Let me give you another example. You enter a relationship and both... uh, the husband and the wife must give up some of their freedom 
for the health of the relationship. And really, most marriages go wrong when one or both parties are not willing to give up their freedom to come together and to, uh, you know, give their freedom for each other. So if one person holds on to their freedom, the relationship will always be lacking the richness and depth that it could have if they were willing to give it up. But when both sacrifice for each other, both will experience a new richness and depth. So even in relationships, when you give up freedom, you gain a deeper loving relationship. When you give up, you gain. That's what Jesus was saying to the young man. Are you willing to give up this? To gain the world. Let's go back to Jesus. Jesus asked the young man to give up his wealth so that he could gain real life, that he could gain freedom, that he could gain eternity. In other words, Jesus said to him, I can give you exactly what you want. You want freedom, you want life. But you have to let go of your strangle on your wealth because that will keep you from your freedom. You have to give it up. Instead, the young man chose his version of freedom and he walked away in bondage. Some translations, some versions, I'm not sure which gospel account says the man walked away sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free... You are truly free. Are you a son or a daughter or a slave? What are you today? He says to the the people, he says, you're slaves. No, we're not. We're free. No, you're slaves. We're descendants of Abraham. Yeah. So Carol and I, a while ago, we finished watching... uh, Downton Abbey. I know I have to admit it. Some of you are going, I thought you were a little twig too. Yeah, I am. It's a stuffy little, and this is my definition of it, all right? It's a stuffy little English show set around the 1900s about a wealthy English family, the Crawleys, and how they interact and how they live in a house with these servants. And, And there's this there's this wall between the, the family and the servants. And you, there's just things that you just, you just don't do if you're a servant. There's just this wall. You just don't get to. And it's very clearly laid out. And here's the point. There is no servant is ever going to be accepted as a family member. And that's clear. Never, there's never any hint that they're ever going to be part of the family. They're never part of the family. They're never privy to, privy to you know, the family saying, hey, I just want to let you know what we're up to, what we're doing. No, it's just like... Very, and there's a clear division between the family and the servants. The servants will never become family. Now, here's the thing. I want to ask you a question again. Are you a son or daughter or are you a servant? Jesus is showing us that servants seek to earn the acceptance of the master by their good deeds. That's what this man, this young man did. He came and said, what must I do? What must I do? And Jesus says, okay, well, if you want to get to that, give that up. 
But see, here's the thing. When you are in that what-must-I-do mode, you'll never do enough to become a family member. Ever. You'll never have a resume good enough that God will say, that's it. Come on, you're in. On the other hand, a family member will mess up. And on the show they do. They mess up big time. But they're never kicked out of the family. They're always part of the family. They may even disgrace the family, but they'll always be family. Here's the principle. A servant is trying to be kept by doing enough. A son or daughter is kept because they belong. And Jesus is saying to us, you're either a slave or you're a son or daughter. You're either in freedom or you're in bondage. So which are you? Are you trying to be good enough, trying to do enough so that one day you'll be accepted into the family? You won't. You'll never be accepted into the family because you've done enough or because you deserve it or that you earned it or deserve it. It'll never happen. That's not the way it works. That's not grace. The only way you get in is to be adopted. Have you been adopted into the family by Jesus? Have you uh, been set free by Jesus? When we place our faith in Jesus, we're adopted into this family. We become a family member, not because we deserve it, not because we've done enough, not because we're good enough, just because God in His grace reached down and adopted us through because of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us. We believe in Him. But we don't just believe with our heads and say, I believe that Jesus came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for my sins, was buried and rose on the third day. I believe that as a fact. But my life proves that I really don't believe that because I'm not really following Him. I'm not abiding in Him. I'm not part of the vine. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not with Him. Well, how do you know if you belong to Him? Jesus told us in His text, those who follow Me belong to Me. So, you know, people come in sometimes and they want to tell their spiritual story to me. And they say, you know, I was here and I did this. And, and really, all I really want to know is, where are you right now today? Are you following Him? If you're confronted with Jesus where He says, will you give everything up, your relationships, your wealth, everything you have, and will you come and follow Me? Do I have your whole heart or do am I kind of like you're teetering back and forth? Are you following Me? Are you with Me? Are you abiding with Me or not? Do you belong to me? Jesus said that one of the primary traits of a disciple, of his disciples, is they follow him. I'll close with this verse Matthew 16 24. You don't have to turn there. If anyone of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. A Christian is somebody who follows Jesus. A Christian is somebody who abides in Him. Who obeys His Word. We began with a passage where Jesus says, Jesus spoke to people, said this to people who believed in Him. But they didn't really believe in Him. You have friends, you have neighbors, you have people you work with. You say, well, as long as they believe in Jesus, as long as they believe the facts, as long as they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that He... 
He, he, he came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for my sin. That he was buried and he rose on the third day. But my life shows no signs that I'm one of his followers. And if push came to shove and Jesus were to say, give it up, follow me, we'd go, I don't know. Where are you at? One day it will be revealed, right? One day our hearts will be revealed. Are you a follower? Are you free? Or are you a servant? Working your hardest, trying to be good enough, trying to arrive, trying to achieve, so that one day you can show God your beautiful resume, a nice vellum, and he's going to say, yeah, I don't know you. Sorry. The chance to follow Jesus is today. Today is the day of salvation. If you want to be set free, it's all in or you're not in. That's the way the Gospels reads. It's not a matter of believing the right things. That's part of it. It's walking with Him. It's obeying Him. It's following Him. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you one of His disciples? Are you a Christian today? Has Christ set you free? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. So, Father, this is a pretty direct message. And it's uh, directed to each and every one of our hearts. Because even pastors can believe all the right things and not believe. We pray that we would uh, do a self-examination as the Jesus called the young man to, to look at his heart. It's amazing to us, Father, that people who, who believe in you would go from saying they believe in you to picking up stones to stone Jesus. That's just mind-boggling, and yet that's what it means when you're not a follower of Christ. Help us to understand what it means to follow you. And may we follow you. May we abide in you. May we obey you, your word. And thank you, Jesus, for setting us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.